Hello and welcome to Era 204, the podcast where we discuss theology from a reformed perspective and genuinely nerdy things where there's no content that you won't love. I'm Luke Denner. And I'm Mark Fromey. Today we are going to be talking about Catholic versus Protestant theology and just some of the major issues that there are within Catholicism as a system. And then we are going to get into the Disneyfication of cinema or how Disney has affected cinema as a whole. I love and your creation of that word, Disneyfication. I, I, I think I, sh- I think it should be a legit word at this point. If not, I, I yeah. patent it, and anyone who uses it has to pay me $1,000 <laughs> per use. So oh, this wow. is here. This is legally binding. So I'm the only one allowed to use it, Mark. Anytime that's, you use it in this that's podcast. That's a verbal trademark? <laughs> that's right. Anytime I use it in this podcast, you owe me money. So let's go oh. ahead and get into our weeks. And Wait, did you say anytime you use it, I owe you money? No, anytime you use it, you owe me money. Uh-oh. I can use it. That's okay. I I trademarked it. So, okay. how's your week been, man? My week's been good. Um, we had my dad and brother came into town at the end of this past week. Uh, Jake was doing a audition for the jazz program at Michigan State. So, they were uh, up. They stayed in Grand Rapids. And Friday, they went over to, to Lansing to Michigan State to tour the school and for him to do his audition. And then... Uh, we were able to spend the rest of the weekend with them and get to hang out. And it was nice to have some family up here and get to spend time with them. Um, we got a lot of snow, so that was nice. pretty crazy. Um, and let's see. Uh, today I actually had a really encouraging uh, meeting with my boss, so that was a really uh, it was really helpful. It was the first time he and I actually sat down since I started working there and just kind of looked at how what my you know how my performance has been if i've been meeting expectations and stuff like that and he had a lot of really nice things to say and it was really uh really encouraging to get to sit down with him and talk that's what they always do right before they can you (laughs) yeah maybe we'll see no No, it it was it was really good um awesome yeah it was very it was a very encouraging time because um I'm not like I'm not a super self-conscious person in most cases, but I starting a new job like I'm very conscious of like am I meeting expectations? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, um, I I always wonder that, and so being able to sit down with him and hear from him that I've been doing really well and that he's really uh, um, satisfied with my performance and everything was really good. So yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it was it was a good time. How was your week? It's been good. Uh, got a, another potential job offer on the table, which is exciting. Yeah, uh, dude, we'll see what, super awesome. What happens with that? Because this one would be full time instead of contract work. So we'll see what pans out with that. For now, the plan is to go ahead and, and continue pursuing this current job I have, which starts on the twentieth. So it's been a, a relaxing couple weeks, just because I got a little bit of a break here before I start. So just enjoying that, playing games, reading books. I'm up to like nine books now. I think I've read since I quit work. Nice. <laughs> just been nice. powering through those, which has been good. It's good to read again, just for leisure. I haven't been able to do that in quite a while, really since before college. But yeah. so that's been that's been enjoyable. And then also had an exciting thing happen last week where they, somebody donated a car to my wife's boss, and he didn't need it and asked if we wanted it, and so we got a 
a free car, and so it, it did need some repairs. It's in the shop now. I dropped it off today, and it's getting some repairs, but still for significantly less than we would spend on a car. So That's awesome, dude. That's super exciting. exciting. That happened, too. So, yeah, it's been crazy Sweet. stuff happening, very <laughs> laid back, and very exciting at the same time. So, Awesome. Recommendation time. Let's go ahead and get into our recommendations for the week. So this is our, our new segment that well, if you guys don't like it, then let us know. But I think it's I think it's a good thing to have. This was Mark's idea. I'll give him credit for that. So we give one book recommendation and then one media recommendation, meaning video game, movie, TV show, something of that nature. So I'll go ahead and go first. And my book recommendation is going to be Dangerous Calling by, by Paul Tripp. And that is just a fantastic, fantastic book for anybody considering ministry, anybody who's in the family of somebody in ministry, or just for the average churchgoer to understand kind of what goes on behind the scenes in the life of a pastor and the struggle that exists there and and can give some good pointers on how to support those in ministry that you're in contact with. And so I highly recommend that book. It's got great practical advice. You can tell his, his concern is to care for pastors and to try to at least warn them of the pitfalls along the way of being a pastor and keep that that passion and that heart to be for God's glory and God's gospel because it it can become very easy to make it about other things. So that's my book recommendation. My media recommendation was going to be UFC 3, but I actually started playing Assassin's Creed Origins today and have just been loving that game. And so I know there there are concerns about some of the content in the game. The content is avoidable as far as I've seen anyway. I haven't seen anything so far. And I know that Logan Sharp over in TRG played it, and I trust his judgment on that type of thing. So Yeah, he's pretty careful about what he plays. So It, it has been just a, a great game. They fix a lot of issues. The combat is way better than any Assassin's Creed up until now because you can actually die and not just spam parries all day long against a thousand <laughs> soldiers. So, which I mean, don't get me wrong, it's kind of fun to feel invincible, but this one adds new challenge, which is really cool. It also adds in a lot more of an RPG feel as far as the customization of weapons and stuff like that goes. And so it's still very light in Assassin's Creed format, but it's more in-depth than any of the games have been so far, and so that's encouraging to find as well. And then the visuals in the game are just beautiful, per usual, for Assassin's Creed. Nice. So, yeah. And everyone has their faces, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> so. Faces are good. There are my recommendations for the week. Mark, your turn. My turn. Um, yes, that's what I just said. That, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, so my recommendations uh, for a book, I'm going to actually recommend um, 1984 by George Orwell. It's a very, uh, I read it towards the end of last year. I read it right before the new year. Again, I, I've read it uh, a long time ago, back when I was at probably in high school high school and, preschool same thing yeah pretty much um i had about the same maturity for the entire time so <laughs> that's pretty fair there's no, there's no differential or no d- discernible difference um <laughs> no so 1984 is really it's a fascinating book um just from a like just a written standpoint the way that orwell writes is really um engaging and, and fascinating it's an easy book to read um at the same time it's got a lot of really interesting concepts and interesting plots and everyone there's people that talk about how like he was predicting what the future is going to be and there's aspects where i could see granted visions by the angel moroni yeah he's mormon before mormons (laughs) during mormon i don't know that that wasn't 
Was it before? No, it wasn't before. I was going to say, I don't think it was. Mormonism would have already been established by the time Orwell was writing. Um, That's what I thought. I've actually never read 1984. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic book. Um, He's very just... There's people who say that like he just captured what society is becoming. There's aspects where he was spot on, and there's other stuff where obviously it's not the case. But I could see where it could become the case. So it's really it's a, it's a very interesting um, interesting read for being just kind of a sci-fi book. Um, so yeah, highly highly recommend that. And then for a game, I'm going to recommend um, the book the book i already did book <laughs> it's been a long for, day man. for this game i'm gonna recommend the book <laughs> oh it's been a long oh day. gosh um now i'm gonna recommend the game duck game oh so, i can get on board with that so uh on friday so i've had this game forever my brother-in-law bought it for me a few years ago as like a christmas gift and I've always wanted to play it, but it's very much a multiplayer-based game. Like, it's built around playing with your friends, and I haven't had anybody who's had the game, so I haven't really played it. Well, this weekend, while Jake was in town, he and I played some, and it was an absolute blast. Like, we played for hours just sitting there and going through, and we were just cracking up laughing. It was hilarious. And And then you and I wound up playing some, too. And then I I mentioned it to you, and you ended up picking it up, and we played, and oh my goodness, it's just so much fun. It's it, it such is, a fun game. It's just a mindless blast. And it's one of those games, too, that, like... Because you're, you're naturally better at video games than both Jake and I. And we still had fun playing with you. Because yeah. it's not like you're... It's not like the type of game where the skill cap is super high. Like, no. you can still make it work, even if you're not that good at video games. Yeah, so. it's super fast-paced. You know, like, you never feel like you got cheated out of a life. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's... it Like, people that are really good or just average at games, like... It's still fun to play together and, and have a blast, and um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was just super fun. I highly recommend that game. So awesome! Yeah, there are our recommendate our our man. I hate putting our, this our. together. There are our recommendations for the week. So, with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the topic at hand, which is Catholicism, specifically Roman Catholicism. I don't really know what other kinds there are off the top of my head, actually, but. That's the general one people speak of. And so, just a, a brief summary here. You guys have heard us address Catholicism a little bit when we talked about the Reformation, when we talked about the five solas. And so you've heard us address some of the issues within the Catholic Church. But I think, by and large, the majority of, majority of evangelicals are unaware of some of the major, major doctor, doctrinal errors. Man, I cannot talk tonight, guys. <laughs> some of the major doctrinal errors that exist within the Catholic Church. And we see this realized because in the past 30, 40, 50, 60 years, we've seen a push from evangelicals to join ecumenically, or that is to join with the Catholic Church as churches, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's something we can't do because the Catholic Church is not a true church. And Martin Lloyd-Jones stood for this, and I've mentioned this before. He stood for this when Billy Graham asked him to sit on the World Council of of Churches. He said, not as long as there are Catholics on it, because they are not a true church, and I will not recognize them as such. But unfortunately, a a lot of us tend to view them as a weird kind of distant cousin of the church, and so still part of the family, just with a few things off, instead of seeing them as 
what they are, which is, in all honesty, a, a cult that promotes heresy. And I don't use those words lightly, and I wanted to touch on this before we get into it. The reason that you're going to hear Mark and I addressing this the way we're addressing it, because it may be a little bit more fiery than our typical um, approach, is because I think that's the biblical standard. And I think that there is a righteous anger that comes against people in the name of Christ perverting the gospel and perverting God and putting forth heresies. And so in the same way that we should be outraged at the prosperity gospel, I think we should be outraged at the teachings of the Catholic Church. Not to the point of being outraged at Catholics, but definitely at the teachings of the Church. Instead, I think it should move us for empathy and concern for those within the Catholic Church and a desire to bring glory to God by seeing them saved from that heresy. And so, I mean, that's what we see with Christ. Christ addresses the Pharisees harshly, but he also lays the gospel out in front of them. And so he doesn't let false teaching slide by the wayside, but he also doesn't leave the gospel out of his rebuke, if that makes sense. Anything you want to add there, Mark? No, I think I think you've hit on it really well, and, and it's something that we, um, like going forward, I know that in this discussion we'll, we're going to address it pretty um, bluntly and, and, and pretty um, harshly, but I don't think harsh in a... Un, I don't think it's an unnecessary harshness. Like we we take this theology very seriously. We take the under, our understanding of God and the Trinity and of justification and of Scripture very um, seriously. It's a big part of um, how we live as Christians. And so, when we see it being handled poorly or incorrectly, uh, to address it harshly and bluntly is not unloving or ungracious, but it's actually the loving and gracious thing to do. Because exactly. we need to be calling others to correct, like we need to be calling people to correction. And, and when we know and understand that there are people who just straight up are being uh, falsely, like led down the wrong path by false teaching, then we want them to, to hear the true gospel and not a false gospel. And so when we address it boldly, don't see that as us being arrogant or um, prideful or haughty, but see it as as what it is which is that we we love people and we want people to hear the true gospel and we love them enough to to address the the falsehood and the the problems within catholicism yeah 100 percent. and i'll just reiterate that again please know our heart going into this mark and i's heart is not to bash people or belittle people or attack people our heart is to give a wake-up call to evangelicals to try to find a way to take the gospel to the Catholic Church because they need it desperately, as we're about to see as we unpack some of their doctrinal errors. And so this is kind of spurring out of the fact that I just finished reading Are We Together by Dr. R.C. Sproul, which is a fantastic overview of Catholicism from a Reformed perspective. And he he's very gracious in the way he writes. He's very gracious in, in giving room for saying, not all Catholics believe this, this is the official stance of the church. This is the stance of people who would be considered more radical. And so giving an overview from a very unbiased position as much as he can as a Reformed Presbyterian, <laughs> but just does a really good job laying out, here's why these are serious issues. And he, he mentions in his book that we can stand socially side by side with Catholics. And so for the sanctity of marriage, which is waning within the, the Catholic Church, but for the sanctity of life and standing against abortion, we we can stand socially with the Catholic Church and fight for these things. 
but we cannot claim to stand together as churches because in doing so we're validating them as a church and they are not. And yeah. so I, I want to bring to light three, three things that Mark and I are going to talk about here. And that's the Catholic view of scripture, the Catholic view of justification and the Catholic view of Mary. And we're going to see the errors within each of these. Mark, you sound like you were about to hop in with something there. No, I wouldn't. Sorry. Okay. I was just agreeing with you. Okay. I, I just heard a noise. So, so I think I smacked my microphone too. Nice. Great. That'll be something for me to go back and edit out. <laughs> so just for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So the Catholic view of scripture is very different than the reformed view or Protestant view. And I, I think we need to start with this one because this is the root of the other issues. When, when we don't view scripture as ultimate authority and sole authority in the sense that we should view scripture, then you can come up with very misconstrued doctrines and misconstrued theological ideas. And so I think this is kind of the heart of the issue for the Catholic Church. And so the, the, one of the biggest issues is they, they don't see scripture as the sole sufficient source of truth. They also look to tradition and they look to the, the speakings or teachings of the Pope. And when they do that, what they're doing in essence is saying what the Pope says carries just as much authority as scripture and is just as, as determinative on topics and tradition carries just as much weight as scripture. And so it's not wrong to look to those things. Mark and I brought this up in our Sola Scriptura episode. It's not wrong to look to tradition. It's not wrong to seek pastor's wisdom or those higher up in the church. What's wrong is when we begin placing the authority in those things on the same par as the authority of scripture. And we let them influence the way we interpret scripture instead of letting scripture be the final lens that we're viewing the world through. Any any thoughts you want to add here, Mark, before I start moving on? No, I mean, I, th- I think that you uh, pretty much nailed it, that it's it's okay to look to confessions and it's okay to look to, to people to help interpret and bring to light different truths within Scripture. But, but yeah, we have to make sure that we are letting Scripture be the final authority and really the only authority. Like, pastors... And, and, like, people can speak authoritatively from Scripture, but the authority does not come from them. It's within Scripture exactly. itself. And so we, we need to, again, that's something we talked about when we talked about Sola Scriptura, that we need to be very intentional about allowing Scripture to be our, our final and ultimate authority and not other people. Because every other person, uh, me and Luke, your pastors, your professors, we speak from a fallen perspective, and we're never going to have all of it right. As as close as we can be, as, as faithful to Scripture as we can be, we will try, but we're never going to have all of it right because at the end of the day, we are still sinners. And so that's why it's that much more important for every single person to make Scripture the authority that they always go back to. Exactly, yeah. And unfortunately, that's not the Catholic view of Scripture. No, it's not. And uh, uh, Partially, too, this results from their view of papal infallibility. Yeah. And so they see the Pope is infallible and his word is infallible, which was not the original view of the Catholic Church. It, it wasn't established until later, and I wish I could remember off the top of my head which council. I'm wanting to say it's the Second Council of Trent that set that down, but I could be wrong on that, so don't don't hold me to that. But the big issue with papal infallibility, there are several big issues, 
one, it it places the Pope on the same level as God. The Pope's spoken word is as determinate and as authoritative as the word of God. And so you're elevating a man to a position he should not be elevated to. And then in, in turn, it diminishes the value of Scripture by inflating the value of the Pope's spoken word, and it diminishes the authority of Scripture because no longer is it, well, Scripture says this. Well, great, Scripture says this, but the Pope has interpreted it this way, and so that's what it truly means. And so ultimately, their authority comes from the Pope and not even Scripture itself, which is an issue. And Catholics would argue that, but at the end of the day, that's the truth, and that's how it works. And we find that happening recently, the Pope trying to reinterpret the Lord's Prayer. And from saying, uh, lead us not in temptation, because they think that that's poor wording, because God wouldn't lead us into temptation, regardless of what the text says, because the Pope interprets it a different way. He's the one that gets the final say on it. Yeah. And, and that's just wrong. And I want to add one more thing, too, before we move on from the view of Scripture, and I'll, I'll give you another chance to tack some stuff on here, Mark, in case there's anything I've forgotten. But that is, if you are Reformed, be cautious, because the Reformed people fall into this same trap with the confessions. I have heard Reformed people claim that the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith or the Westminster Confession of Faith are infallible, and that is the exact same error that the Catholics are making, and it, it is blaspheming the view of God's Word, and that's that's not okay. So please, please do not make that claim. That's the very thing the Reformers were pushing against, and I can guarantee they would roll over in their graves if they knew that there were Reformed people saying that, and they yeah. would think that they are just as as much of the Catholic Church as anyone else within the Catholic Church. So, that's my thoughts on the on their view of Scripture. Anything you want to tack on here, Mark? Uh, the, I was just going to add to what you said in that uh, there would be. You, you mentioned that Catholics would deny that you know they they hold the pope to the same authority as scripture ultimately the same authority as god there's there's which is true there's a lot of catholics from in my experience at least there's a lot of catholics who would deny a lot of things about what they believe but it, ultimately regardless of what they say and the practical way that they live out their lives and the way that they live out their beliefs through catholicism they do believe these things um some of them deny it because they don't fully understand what they're doing. Um, I've also, I've met a lot of Catholics like who are kind of notorious for whenever you try to challenge them theologically, they just tell you to go talk to their priest because they don't know, they don't understand their own beliefs. And so they want to point you to their priest, which is that becomes another issue. And you talked about papal infallibility that goes along with just the authority that they hold priest priests to as a whole, like, priests are ultimately the ones responsible for their souls and so they're more concerned with what the priest believes and they trust the priest to take care of them and so they don't feel like they need to know it themselves and that's a that's a dangerous thing no matter what uh, but but I think it speaks to uh, one the fact that a lot of Catholics are not what I would call true Roman Catholics like they're they're very exactly. nominal Catholics they're very you have a lot of non-practicing Catholics that are really just Catholic by name. Yeah, um, for sure. But for those that are true Catholics, if this is what they truly believe and practice, that's a very dangerous place to be. 
um, to, to put that much faith and that much um, authority in f- people who are ultimately still sinful men. The Pope is still a sinful man. The priests are still sinful men. Um, we, we need to, again, continue to come back to the fact that Christ is our ultimate Savior. Christ is the one who has provided grace for us, not the Pope, not the priests, but, but Christ himself and Christ alone. And that's clear when we, when we read Scripture. And we, we take scripture at its value and not what other people say it is. Definitely. And that flows right into our next one, their view of justification. And so their view of justification would not be Christ alone as our Savior. And again, that's something that they would deny. Catholics would, would deny this and they would say, no, we view Christ alone as, as salvation. But at the Council of Trent, the sola fide, which is faith alone from the five souls, was condemned as anathema or damned as heresy and so they don't believe that it's faith alone by grace alone through christ alone you you receive a certain amount of grace that christ has earned for you and that occurs at baptism not by confessing christ as lord which the biblical standard would be and then you can lose that grace as you sin and so you have to do the hail marys or go to confession or or do penance or ultimately purgatory to pay off these sins if if your account of grace does not weigh your account of sins, if that makes sense. And that's what led to the indulgences in the Reformers' time and kind of what spurred off Martin Luther to push back against the Catholic Church was this idea of there's there's grace stored up and you're given a certain amount, but it, it's enough to cover your sins up until this point, not enough to cover your sins for the future. It, and so... That is just blasphemous because it's saying that Christ has not paid sufficiently or efficiently for your sins. It's saying that what Christ accomplished on the cross was not totally complete because it hasn't freed you from the entirety of your sin. It's just freed you from a portion of it. And so it makes less of the the horror that Christ endured on our behalf. It takes salvation off of being solely Christ to being Christ and then works that we do on top of it. And... It is just it's it's heresy flat out, and so again I don't I don't use that word lightly. Please understand that I do not use the word heresy lightly. To to call something heretical, to call something damning, is not a light accusation that we can level. Our Arminian brothers, you would never hear Mark and I call them heretical. We would call that heterodoxy, but not heresy. And so while while not orthodoxy, it's still not far enough off base to be considered condemning. What the Catholic Church Church teaches about the gospel is far enough off base to be condemning. Like, it's not the gospel flat out. And I I want to throw this in too, Mark. You mentioned there are a lot of nominal Catholics. And we've said before, and I, I do still firmly believe this, and so please please hear us saying this, and no, we're not saying that all Catholics are heretics and going to hell. But I do not think you can be a true Christian and be a true Catholic. So there are believers within the Catholic Church. But you cannot truly be a follower of Christ and at the same time truly believe and follow the teachings of the Catholic Church as, as they are put forth by the Catholic Church. And, and so, again, this is not a bashing party. It's a be aware. These are not people who know the gospel. 
These are people who know a perverted view of the gospel and they need the truth to be, sh- to be shined into their lives. And we're the instruments God has called to do that. Anything you want to talk about on the view and justification? I feel like I'm just like monologuing here and then trying to let you tax stuff on the end. I apologize for that. Oh, no, you're good. Um, I, I think that you nailed it. You, you covered a lot. Um, I don't want to sound like a broken record and just repeat you a bunch, so I, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I think you, you handled it really well. Okay, so see, this is proof, guys. I'm the more theologically intellectual. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Before we, we got into this podcast, just so you know, we kind of figured I was going to do more talking on this topic, and Mark would do more talking on the second one, not because Mark is unaware of Catholic theology, but because I just finished R.C. Sproul's book, and so I have a little bit more fresh in my mind, and not because I don't like talking about Disney and bad-mouthing Disney, but because Mark is more knowledgeable there than I am, and so that's kind of why this is split this way, so... If that We're good helps. at playing, playing to each other's strengths. Yeah, we'll go with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> finally, their view of Mary. And this is this is the thing that really slapped me in the face reading through our read together by by Dr. Sproul. Because up until this point, like I was I was getting more and more upset at the teachings of the Catholic Church. More and more upset with, with just the the wrongness of it. And then I hit their view of Mary and was just appalled that anybody within the Protestant church or evangelicalism would even consider claiming Catholicism as true Christianity because it is just, it's horrible the way they treat Mary. And at the same time, I think a lot of people, and a lot of Protestants and evangelicals misunderstand the way the Catholics view Mary. And so they either think that she's like another goddess that they worship, or they think that, you know, oh, they just like having statues of Mary because they revere her. And you'd hear both of those things from Catholics themselves. And so we're going to take a a last chunk of this to take a brief look at their view of Mary. And so the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was when it got to how they handled her participation in redemption. And so the Catholics believe that Mary was immaculately conceived, that she was also born without sin, which is already an issue because we find that in Adam all die, and we find that sin has stained every human other than the perfect lamb, Christ. And so to declare that there's been another person apart from Christ who has lived perfectly, first off, is to deny what Scripture teaches, And then secondly is to claim that Mary did not need redemption that Christ provided because she has no stain of sin. And both of those have have numerous, numerous theological issues. We also find that because of that, and because of the Magnificat, where Mary essentially responds to God positively to bear Christ, they, they claim that Mary is the new Eve as much as Christ is the new Adam. And so by her accepting through the Magnificat, to bear the Son of God, she is participatory in the redemption of the human race. And they call her the co-mediatrix, or the co-mediator with Christ, and believe that she was assumed up into heaven, she did not actually die, and is now seated at the right hand of God, not right hand of God, sorry, is now seated in heaven with Christ, as the queen of heaven, ruling over heaven with Christ, which raises a whole other host of issues because we find that 
Christ is the one who has subjected all things under his feet. Christ is the one who is the Lord of all. And regardless of your views on, on things like eternal subordination to the Son, we all agree at the end of the day that God is the Lord of all. And so to put Mary in a reigning position in heaven is very, very problematic. Because just as we talked about elevating the Pope to almost a, a deified state, that's what they do with Mary as well. And again, the Catholics would deny this. They would they would point to the difference between Latria and Dulia. And so Latria means to worship, and Dulia means to serve. And ironically, um, doulos, the word Mark has tattooed on his arm, yeah. is the word that Paul uses when he says he's a slave of Christ or a servant of Christ, and they think it's okay to give that same title to Mary. We're allowed to serve Mary, and in serving her, we worship God and join in her worship of God. And so it's a really kind of backwards and convoluted view of, as like you would have heard farther back when they had people bowing down and praying to saints or praying to statues, that they weren't venerating those statues, they were serving those saints and joining in with them in veneration of God. But at the end of the day, it's, it's worship flat out. And I can guarantee you that the majority of people who are bowing down and praying to Mary or praying to an image are not thinking, oh, as I'm doing this, I'm praying to God. They're thinking, I'm praying to this saint or to Mary. And so trying to make a distinction here where there really isn't one is a, an issue as well. And so with Mary, we find that She's ascribed the same sinlessness as Christ. She's ascribed a participation in redemption with Christ. And she's venerated as a deity with a little caveat that she's not really being worshipped as such. And that is, that is terrible. And again, it is heretical and it is blasphemous. Because we're taking, we're elevating Mary, someone who we should look to as an example someone who is a great example of godliness, a great example of a godly woman. And I think because the Catholics have elevated her so much, we as Protestants tend to shy away from giving Mary some of the respect she is due in that regard. But, yeah, I mean, she was still chosen by God to bear the son. Like, she was given a huge honor. Not Again, not because of anything she did in and of herself, but just like all elections, she was chosen... Because By the grace of God. God pleased to chose to choose exactly, exactly. pleased to chose. <laughs> I like that, but yeah. And again, there are some within the Catholic Church who would disagree with the treatment of Mary, and and there are some who would disagree with calling her uh, the mediatrix. But the official stance of the Church, and, and as much as I understand, is that she is co-mediatrix with Christ. And so, if you used all of these exact terms. There may be some disagreement, but but Catholic encyclicals and Catholic creeds and confessions say as much, and ones that are still considered as accurate today say as much. And so again, please please don't hear this as a witch hunt, but there there are uh, uh, we just touch the surface here. Yeah. And and even just these are enough to show us we cannot we cannot call the Catholic Church a true church. We cannot validate it as such, we cannot encourage it as such, and we cannot join with them as such. And the point is not to start avoiding Catholics. 
just like we don't want to start avoiding the lost. And and this is something I don't know how we do this well. And I come from a community that's primarily Catholic, and I, I don't know how to do it well. But we need to be concerned with reaching the lost within the Catholic Church, which I would, I think we can safely say, would be by and large the majority of the Catholic Church is lost yeah. and does not know the true gospel and does not know Christ. And so this should put a passion and a burning in our hearts to want to carry the gospel to those within Catholicism in the same way that we should want to carry it to those within Mormonism or in Jehovah's Witness or whatever it may be. Islam, and, everything. Yeah, 100%, because Catholicism is just as much a cult as any of those. And I, I use the word cult to mean a perversion of Christianity, so maybe that's not the right word because that may not bring the right idea to everyone's mind. But It's, it's equally as false as all the others. Yeah. And so be encouraged if you're listening to this to not try to debate with a bunch of Catholics and show them why they're wrong and be like, ah, be encouraged to show them the gospel and show them the hope there is in Christ alone, not in views of works as well. And so that's that's the majority of what I had to say. Is there anything you want to add on to that, Mark, before we transition from a very heavy topic to a very <laughs> not-so-heavy topic? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what we always do, though, right? Trans- transition from some super heavy theological discussion to some super random nerdy thing. Yeah, but theology is uh, not always quite as heavy as condemning the Catholic that's Church true. heretical. That's, that's very true. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add. I think that you covered it well. Um, man, it just... it killed, I feel like... I don't know if you agree with me on this, but looking through all of this, and at least what we just talked about... Um, the view, especially when you get into the view of Mary, the view of justification, I feel like, and I think that it it all brings itself back to the first point, which is the view of Scripture. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like these things about Mary and Mary being uh, the you know the immaculate conception, how she was sinless herself, and she's a partaker of all these things. Like this is this is nowhere to be found in the word of God. And so how can we make claims like this without seeing it in the word of God? Like I get annoyed when people make minor claims or, or like minor assumptions within scripture. And I'm not saying that I don't do it too. I'm sure that even unintentionally I'm guilty of it plenty of times, but it bothers me when I hear like, like I remember listening to someone talk about how in the book of Mark, whenever there's the, the boy that's present in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus gets arrested and the boy gets like stripped and runs away naked. They basically just, for whatever reason, establish that that's Mark. I'm like, well, where does that come from? Like that in of itself bothers me. And that's not really that big of a deal. You just just don't like like that because you're named after Mark. Sure. That's what it is. (laughs) No, like small things like that bother me. So when we get into things like this, where you are making drastic claims about Mary or about the way that justification works. Um, it, it's very concerning to me that anyone would believe it, but that it would ever be taught by someone who considers themselves to be faithful followers of God, uh, that, that you would take scripture out of context or, or make such assertions that are so unbased on anything. It's just, it, it's very bothersome to me and very worrisome. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it comes out of that abuse of 
scripture and wrong view of scripture. Yeah, or a low something view I did something I didn't mention too would be the apocrypha as well. Like that's where a lot of these ideas about mm-hmm. merited grace and works on top of grace come from is the apocrypha and, and those books that are contained within that. And so there is there's an issue there too with some of that which is called canon by the Catholic Church, which is not called canon by Protestants. And if you guys ever like wonder why that is, John Piper does a great study on why the canon of Scripture is the canon of Scripture, and I, I strongly recommend it. If I can find a link to to the study, I will post that in the the show for you guys. But if not, just if you look up John Piper, why is Scripture Scripture? I think you should be able to find it. So. With that said, let's go ahead and do our transition from heavy <laughs> to light. And not light in the sense of good, but light in the sense of evil, because Disney is the devil, <laughs> along with EA. And we're going to talk about the disney well, the second one. of cinema, and, and just the effect that Disney has had on cinema specifically. Because Disney has a hold on like everything in the world at this point. It's getting like, pretty crazy. They just acquired 20th Century Fox, for anybody who doesn't know that, or Fox Studios. Yeah, Disney and Google are stupid. With how much they own. And Amazon. And Amazon. Disney, Google, and so, Amazon will own the world. Pretty much. So, I mean, the fact that Disney also bought out Hulu a little while ago. Well, I guess acquiring Fox Studios gave them a majority share of Hulu is what yeah. it was. So, And yet they're still going to make their own streaming service and not just turn think, Hulu into the streaming service. Are you sure? Because the last I heard they were talking about potentially... Oh, just merging with Hulu? It. Okay. Yeah, I would prefer something it. like that. Like that would be. Better. I wouldn't. I love the shows on Hulu, and a lot of those people are probably going to leave because Disney has the major share now. Mm, that's true. So. I guess. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Disney is the devil. So, all right. Mark, so, take it away. I don't go to the extreme that Luke just went to. I don't think. I don't think that Disney is the devil. Disney um, is the devil. <laughs> um, not like, the literal devil. The figurative devil. Oh, I still see. Don't agree. <laughs> Um, no, I, I have, I have no issue with Disney capitalizing on the market that they've created. Like, I'm fine with people taking what they have and making money off of it. I think that's what the market's for. You misunderstand. Uh, that's not why Disney is the devil. Disney's the devil because they ruined Star Wars. So, and this is, I will, ah, uh, I still have trouble making that extreme of a statement without having seen the next one. I have faith I like that how you just save it. everything in the show notes as you're talking. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just... By the way, this is our first episode Luke of show Luke created notes. show notes for me. I complained and enough. highlighting and random stuff while I he talks. Th- I threatened to go to TRG. Finally got More show like, notes. I felt like we were a little too all over the place, mainly me, and I was like, show notes would probably be good. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so... So I don't have an issue with Disney acquiring a bunch of stuff and, and using it to make money. But I think that I, – I will say that I am bothered by I, – and I don't think this is Disney's fault. I think that it is consumers. I think it partially is, and there's, I'll there's, address that in a minute. Yeah, there's certain parts that I think are. But as a whole, so, so I'm, I don't like the influence – that Disney has on other franchises and other movies and other things that are coming out. That I don't blame on Disney. That I blame on the consumers Consumer. and their just utter praise of Disney no matter what it is. So like and Disney so, or Marvel and DC. Yeah, Marvel and DC is a big one where, um, you know, Justice League has started coming out and these other movies are coming out. I know there's a lot of complaints about 
the DC movies are coming out, but the most of those complaints are essentially, or at the heart of it, the complaint is that it's not enough like Marvel and the Avengers and things like that. And I think that we need to realize that that's not what it's supposed to be. Like, DC is making its own thing. It's all DC Comics has always been darker and grittier and more macabre than... Um, Luke is now insulting me in the show notes. <laughs> so, um, it's always been more macabre and dark than Marvel has, even as comics. Uh, comics. And so, now you get into movies and... DC starts trying to do the same thing, and people are upset that it's not as lighthearted and fun as Marvel. And I don't think that people are willing to understand that it's supposed to be different. It's not supposed to be the same. And and it's now I think the other side of that is that because people have praised what Disney's done so much in that category, and I know Luke has some stuff to say on this too, but Disney's allowed it to. They've they've misinterpreted. Hey, making humorous, fun movies is what we should do with everything now because exactly. it, it worked once. I call it the Guardians of the Galaxy Syndrome. And because of the success of Guardians of the Galaxy and the, the style of humor in that, which I think they misunderstand Chris Pratt's just It was perfect in Guardians of the Galaxy. His proficiency with that style of humor. Like, that's what he yeah. does. That's what he does in Parks and Rec. That's what he does in Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and that's just that's Chris Pratt being Chris Pratt. Like, he's not even acting at that point. <laughs> like, if you ever watch him in interviews, that's just how oh, yeah. he is. And so they misunderstood that as their golden goose to get them success. And so you notice, like, there's a huge difference between Thor Ragnarok and the Thor movies that came before as far as humor within it and the misplaced humor within it. Like, you'd hit a serious moment, and all of a sudden there's this very misplaced humor. And so you see it in Thor, you see it in Spider-Man, you see it happening in um, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. That's honestly one of my big complaints about The Last Jedi is you see... You see the, this Guardians of the Galaxy style humor in a franchise that up until this point has been a very witty and well-timed, well-placed humor. And instead, you kind of get the shotgun effect. Like, that's what my, my one friend jokes with me. I do the shotgun effect. I throw out a thousand jokes and hope one sticks. And it feels like Disney has adopted that policy for every movie they're cranking out. And it, it, it really irritates me. Because some movies need to have that darker feel or that heavier weight to them. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree, and I, I think that, again, where Disney has influenced other movies, I think we see that kind of stuff happening in franchises outside of even Disney, and I brought up how DC has always been darker and grittier, and that's kind of what it tries to be. My biggest complaint about the Justice League film that just came out, which as a whole I liked, my biggest complaint is that there were moments where it felt like it was trying to be Marvel, and that there was just very misplaced humor. There was a lot of jokes or comments or passing remarks that just were super out of place. And I'm, I don't have a problem with there being humor. I think that if humor is done cleverly and, and in the right instance, even in a serious movie, that's fine. But I think that what, what basically DC and Warner Brothers saw was that, oh, this was happening a bunch with Marvel and they've sold a ton of movies, so let's put, in a, put it in our movie. And it just super didn't fit with what was happening i mean it, it, it would it's in the same category as like imagine if this had happened decades ago and we got a shawshank redemption movie with humor throughout the whole thing which it, the shawshank redemption has laughable moments yes but they're well-timed they're well-placed and they're in good taste and they're within the theme of the movie and exactly 
and I think that's what it comes down to. But Disney has mistook this, and I think because of how successful Disney is as a whole, we're seeing that happen all over the place. And we have other movies and things coming out that just... They're doing things that they really shouldn't be, and they're trying to, to mimic Disney because Disney's been successful. And I don't think that's a good influence. I think that's what makes movies and TV shows and things like that great is that they can be super varied and they can be a large variety of how they function and they all serve different audiences and serve different um, purposes and I can enjoy I can sit down and enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy and I can sit down and enjoy I'm trying to think of like a, a more serious movie that I've seen recently I'll, rather than Justice League I'll go back to like Batman versus Superman I can sit down and enjoy that movie because of what it is and so I think that Disney has had a negative influence in that sense. And I I hope hope that we don't see that continue. I hope Disney itself figures out that, like... I don't think they will, though. Like, I think the most cringeworthy thing I've seen in theaters this entire year is the scene between Poe Dameron and the guy on the bridge of the ship when he's trolling. Oh, that was so cringeworthy. Like, it was awful, because any real Imperial would just blast him out of the sky. Yeah. Like, it, it was bad. And, and, and again, I, I bring up Star Wars because, you know, we're huge Star Wars nerds. But this happens in all of these types of of Disney films that are yeah. coming out, and it's, it's just frustrating. So, but we will see if Disney can figure out and ride the ship. I don't think so, because right now it's making <laughs> them buku bucks. And yeah, and that's, I think that's what it comes down to, that we need to realize... And everyone needs to realize is that when, when we're talking about Disney, yes, they can do some things great. Yes, they make mistakes. But I think ultimately what people need to realize is that Disney doesn't care about its fans. And what I mean by that is Disney is first and foremost trying to make money. And they're going to do whatever it takes to make money. If you buy their stuff and you enjoy and speak highly of it, then they're going to take it. If, like, The Last Jedi is a perfect example of, like, there's a lot of people, a lot of Star Wars fans who have been upset for various reasons. I think some of them are unjustified. Some of them are justified. Um, All of mine are justified. <laughs> but I think that, like, you have people that are very upset with the way it was handled who have been longtime fans of Star Wars and things like that. But ultimately, Disney, like, it's it's been pretty clear by the just the lack of response that Disney doesn't care. Disney wants to make money. And if the movie's going to make money at the end of the day, they don't care if they actually fulfill what you were hoping to see or, or met the expectations of their fans. And exactly. I don't, I don't think that, like, because I, I'm going to say art because I think that cinema is art. I don't think that all art styles and things need to cater to the masses. I think that it's okay for something to come out and be disliked or people have issues with it that's fine but, but I th- they're they they are catering to the masses and that's the issue and I, i'd say you see this with the marvel as well as the star wars universe like true hardcore marvel fans fans of the comics often take issues with the movies but yep. the masses don't and so disney's going to appeal to the masses because they get more money that way D- in the same yes, way that, Dis- that the hardcore star wars fans aren't huge fans of the new movies but the masses are and so disney's appealing to the mass for the money instead of appealing to those who truly care and are true fans of the series. Absolutely. And yes, you heard me say it. If you like The Last Jedi, you're not a true fan. <laughs> I'll say it again. If you like The Last Jedi, you're not a true fan. <laughs> That's, that is where it comes up. 
Disney will, and I think that I, I think it's safe for me to say that Disney will always appeal to the lowest common denominator every single yes. time because that's where they're going to cause the least. Like, if they released a Star Wars movie that was super in depth and made callbacks, callouts to the expanded universe, or or followed with these very in depth fan theories or fan like fan ideas, fans would love it, but the masses wouldn't. They they would think that it was too um, too exclusive. Like it wasn't it wasn't inclusive enough to just the common moviegoer, and and they would have all these different complaints, and that's where they would lose their money. So they're going to appeal to the lowest common denominator, and they would rather alienate the fans, um, as opposed to just the, they're more focused on just the common moviegoer, the person who doesn't care that much, and they're just going to be entertained by something for a few hours. Yep, for sure. So, I I, I hope it changes. I want to see something better than that. I wouldn't hold my breath if I I'm not holding my breath, but I'm hoping. <laughs> because in the same way that we don't see politics change until the masses change their minds, we're not going to see Disney change until the masses change. So, and the masses are going to keep laughing at the low humor, easy hanging fruit of Guardians of the Galaxy style in all these movies. And eventually it'll get old, but it's going to take a while. So. Yeah. With that said, I still enjoy certain Disney movies. I still enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. But I'm still going to keep seeing watching Star Wars movies. Although, if they actually do do a Ryan Johnson trilogy, I may not watch that. Yeah, I don't think I could watch that. I, I can watch it when Abrams takes over for nine. Like, I'll, I'll watch I'll, Solo with Ron I'll definitely Howard. watch Nine. I will definitely watch Solo. Uh, whatever the next spinoff movie is going to be, I'm super hoping it's Kenobi. I'll definitely go see that. Um, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll watch Avengers: Infinity War. Like, I can still go and enjoy their movies, but as as a whole, I'm concerned about where they are going to direct cinema because really, people are following their lead. Well, and before too long, they won't be directing cinema from the outside. They're going to own all of cinema if they keep going. <laughs> exactly. They're so, just going to keep buying everything. There you go. There's our thoughts on Catholicism. I predict Disney. in 2030 we have a Justice League Avengers crossover movie because everything's owned by Disney anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be shocked. So, And then we'll get to see if our prediction was right. That <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, we get Superman and Hulk just beating the tar out of each other. And I'd we watch get Superman that. flying the Hulk into the purple sun. So, <laughs> I hope you guys all just heard my wife in the background. <laughs> I heard her. <laughs> so, all right. We appreciate you guys. If you like us, make sure you drop us a rate on iTunes. Share us with your friends. Hit us up on the Facebook group at Error204Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Error204Podcast. Or send us an email at Error204Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you invite people to the Facebook group, too. Like We have great discussion there. Have a fun time interacting with you guys. If you have thoughts on the show and stuff like that, go ahead and throw that our way. Don't forget we do have merchandise still, and we'll make sure we drop the link in this one as well so that way you guys can go hit that up. But Mark's wife, Lindsay, did a fantastic job designing some T-shirts and actually whatever you want. She just made the designs. Yeah, she made designs, and they can go on anything anything one of them is mark and i's face why you wouldn't want that on everything in your home i don't know because they're amazing so especially with the way that we're posing so glamorously with that I, said, I personally am offended by everything that's not covered in that logo in your home pretty much the same here so 
We appreciate you guys. We will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye.